This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. How's it going, Johnny? Yeah, not not too bad, Dan. Um, very interesting week of footy, weekend of footy, uh, back in lockdown. Uh, what's not so like? <laughs> it's just <laughs> another week, isn't it, now? Yep, yep. Uh, I'm reminded by what you said last time, uh, lockdown doesn't end till it ends. I think it was something along the lines of that. Basically, yeah, it's on until it's not. <laughs> it's on till it's not, that's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely going to extend, they've already said that, but yeah. Yes. I, we're a long way ahead of Sydney, so that's something at least. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's getting a bit scary up there, actually. Yeah, I think it's a lot harder to control now that it's more contagious, the Delta variant and everything, but people don't come here to get their coronavirus update, so let's get back no, to the exactly. footy, eh? Plenty of outlets for that. Uh, what caught your eye, Johnny? Um, yeah, this this one's not like going to be a glamorous one. <laughs> it's actually going to sound a bit silly, but um, it's a guy by the name of I think it's Leo Connolly for St Kilda. Um, <laughs> this is this is just how pathetic this sounds. But I saw this guy do two of the best drop punch uh, passes that I've seen probably all year and it's ridiculous that we say that but that is sort of how far foot skills have slipped in the last I don't know however long but I saw him go inboard from the halfback flank back to the middle and spot up a teammate and then I just saw a beautiful pass inside 50 to I think it was Membry um yeah I, I just like seeing players that are naturally good kicks it's amazing how much it actually stands out in today's football I remember mm. really early in the season when Goulden was just coming onto the scene for Sydney. He was spotting up. I think the first like four or five kicks I saw of his, they were just like these amazing kicks that hit people lace out pretty much. So it really does stand out when someone can get onto a kick like that. Oh, yeah. You know, Goulden's a, a great example, actually. Yeah. Just, yeah. Nice to watch. All right. Let's jump into the agenda today. So as... We've been doing, we keep mixing it up, but I think we might have found a formula that might work for us now. So we're going to go through a few questions from the round, questions that matter, and we're building up towards match of the round, which is making a return. So this one will be the game between Gold Coast and the Western Bulldogs. But before we get there, we've got plenty of other stuff to get through uh, related to the round's action. So let's get into it. What is Sydney's point of difference, Johnny? They've made a real beeline for that top four. And uh, yeah, they're being described now as the best team outside the top four, perhaps. So what is their point of difference? Yeah, I think they are the best team outside the top four. And they're the most informed team in the competition, I'd say, at the moment. But um, point of difference, yeah, that's a really good question. The first thing I think with Sydney that I think about is the really slick ball movement. Um, you know, obviously we know Sydney traditionally were a very dour and uh, not always pleasant to watch team. Um, but it's amazing that the transition that John Longmore has taken them through this year and their ability to just 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 take the ball coast to coast and and score is is really just been a, a hallmark of their game this year. And they rank number one in the league for scoring out of their back half. So I think that is just something that they've really perfected. And we always like to see fast ball movement but um the i think the big part of it is also having fast ball movement and not turning it over often 
Um, they're ranking pretty well in the turnovers as well per game. They're about eleventh, um, so that's a, you know the Good lower you are, the better stat. But um, yeah, I think that that is something they've got down really well, and it'll hold them in good stead in the finals. So on the weekend, they had the battle of the bridge against GWS, and uh, it was looking pretty dire there. Sort of first half, they did steady late in that first half, but I think at one stage they're about six goals down against the Giants there. But uh, they hung in there and uh, started to click for them, and they ended up kicking uh, eleven goals to four after halftime to actually run out pretty convincing winners by 26 points. So some of those foot skills you're talking about there, Johnny, were on full display. Absolutely. And it, it, once it's up and running, it's really hard to stop. So what do you think the best way to actually play Sydney at the moment is if they're so skilled, you know, out of that half back line and actually they're pretty good at spotting up the kicks inside 50 as well. So what can you do? Yeah. Do they just need to be pressured or is there another way to play them? So the way I'd probably play them is try to slow the game down as much as possible. Um, don't let them run into the lanes. Don't let them get easy possessions. Uh, make them do a lot of running without the ball. So obviously a bit more of a controlled style. Um, maybe similar to what Geelong's playing at the moment. I think those are the teams that Sydney will probably struggle the most with. Hmm, but uh, interesting. Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard, tough one. Yeah, I guess when they're on top of their game, they're not going to be that easy to stop. All right, next question. Did St Kilda leave four points on the table versus Port Adelaide? So they ended up going down in this game by 13 points, but really they had plenty of chances in that last quarter. I think they kicked two goals for and were on top for the majority of the quarter. And they also kicked 0-6 from set shots through the, the day. It's a pretty scrappy game, actually. How did you see this one, Johnny? Did they blow it here, St Kilda? Yeah, uh, it was a scrappy game. At times it was exciting, but um, I think St Kilda did leave four points on the table, actually. Um, you know, they started reasonably well. And there's just those moments in the game where they really needed some leaders to stand up, and I just didn't feel like it really happened. And um, I've just got one player here that I, I really want to zero in on a bit here. And, I, you know, we don't like to pick on people, but... Dan Butler, what what has happened to this guy? Like he was sensational last year. He was a, a super pressure forward. I think he kicked nearly thirty goals for the year, something like that. And uh, he's just a shell of himself this year. That the pressure isn't there at all. I find. Um, and he just had a moment late in that game that summed up the whole thing for me. Really, um, he was just gunning down the wing into the fifty. Uh, I think Brad Hill was next to him, like alongside him. But uh, and there was one on ones all inside the fifty, and he just decided to do this banana check side, whatever kick to the uh, something like just somewhere in the middle of the fifty, and um, it just went straight to a port defender, and he just went all Hollywood in that moment, and it was just such a deflating moment in the game. I thought that was a real chance for the Saints to get some momentum and try to pinch it, but yeah, what has happened to this guy, Dan? Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, he was so good when he came over from Richmond last year. And, you know, everyone was saying, you know, he should be all Australian, small forward, and all that sort of stuff. He did drop off a little bit towards the end of last year. But, yeah, yeah I guess it really shows up when you're playing that sort of small forward role when you stop doing the sort of pressure acts unconditionally and you just 
you only you probably don't have to be as off as maybe you do would be in some other positions for it to show up as much. But yeah, he's gone missing a fair bit this year. Yeah, it, it is the pressure part of his game that that was his um, you know that was his calling card. Um, he's averaging about half a tackle inside fifty less each game, and it doesn't sound like much, but um, you know we all love that that pressure inside the fifty, don't we, Dan? With the you know. Those tackles inside fifty are golden, and he's just—he's just not there at the moment with it. And it was a weird one for St Kilda though, because it looked like they'd more or less carried on their form from the last three weeks, where they've been really good, but they just couldn't quite break through. And it looked like it was more to do with them than Port. I don't know if they were just a little bit off, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, I thought a tricky one. I thought that too. I definitely thought that too. Actually, um, they just didn't have that. I don't know. They just didn't have that last bit of killer instinct or something i don't know <laughs> seems to be something that's not uncommon in games today like it's just that hard for the players to actually put the finishing touches on a play to actually get it through the goals go for long stretches without any goals being scored and yeah it's it's really strange isn't it somehow yeah. it's just you can't actually finish the play for whatever reason <laughs> yeah i totally agree there's been a lot of in all the games, you'd see a lot of good build-ups, a lot of good ball movement, and then just lacking that, you know, that end product. And, yeah, it's, it's probably the most important product. For sure. So, don't take too much away from Port here. They had a good win on the road, and they've actually moved into the top four now as well, uh, taking Brisbane's spot on percentage, I think. Actually, no, I think they've actually won win ahead now on 48 points. So uh, Yeah, one game ahead. Yeah, so uh, doing... All the right things, Port. Uh, but I think, yeah, they've still got a lot of players out. And by no means was it a fantastic performance by them, but they did what they had to do to get the win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there were some good individual performances. Ollie Wines was fantastic. Uh, and Charlie Dixon actually rose to the occasion. So, you know, these are the kind of big-time players they'll need performing in the finals. And they did win that game. They kicked the last two, ga- uh, two goals of the game to seal it. So they did what they had to do to win the game. And that's sometimes all you have to do when it's a bit of a scrappy game. That's it. So something I was noticing a bit over the weekend as well was just how big an effect momentum can have. It's always been huge, but the question I have is, has getting the momentum and making use of it ever been as important as it is right now? We saw absolutely massive momentum swings in the Carlton Collingwood and also GWS Sydney games where one team was on top and then it completely flipped. The reason I think it might be as important now as ever is just because what we were talking about then and you know a lot of other podcasts as well, it's just so hard for teams to score. So if you can get a run of momentum where you're kicking you know three to six goals pretty quickly, often that is enough to win the game. At least... That's how I see it. What do you reckon, Johnny? Yeah, it's it's very very important. That's for sure. Having that momentum. Um, yeah, it's it's things like the the stand rule, and I think they they've freed up the game, but they've also allowed the team with the ball to, I guess, control the game a bit more as well and keep possession for longer. Um, then. You know, you look at some of those rules, I guess, that have gradually been geared not to favour defenders. Over, and that's been a very slow burn over the time. But we've kind of gotten to this point now where, yeah, if 
if you haven't got that momentum and you don't have the ball often, you're going to get scored against. <laughs> it's just as simple as that. Um, you know, you can only play Russian roulette for so long. And uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I just, you really just want to see when you, your team's got the momentum, you, you just have this, it's almost like um, you, you feel like you're asking too much from your team at times, but um, you just, you just want, you know, deep inside, oh, if we don't make the most of this momentum, like, that could be it. If we only, if we only get about like, say you've got a, a patch of about ten minutes of momentum, you only kick two goals and kick three behinds, then you just it's wasted. Yeah, I think that's exacerbated now, just because in general it is lower scoring than it was ten years ago, right? So if you don't actually yeah. get those two or three goals when you're sort of meant to, then it's going to be harder to get them at another time where you don't have as much of the momentum. So I guess it just exacerbates that sort of problem there. Exactly, and um, you know, in the Melbourne Hawthorne game, that was a perfect example. I mean, they got some great momentum towards the end of the first half, and uh, for me, I knew that I was kind of thinking, "Well, look, you know, we'll just ride it out until we get it back." And I don't really think we ever never really happened to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you've really just got to strike while the iron's hot. It's almost like you can lose the game when you've got the momentum just by actually not making the most of it. Sounds, yeah, it sounds strange. Yeah. yeah, it's more important than when you're conceding when you don't have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess like a lot of it, the game now is just, you know, limiting the other team, right? So most teams are actually pretty good at that now, but what a lot of teams still struggle with is actually to, you know, put a decent amount of score on the board, particularly when they get on top and it's kind of their turn almost to score. <laughs> Yeah, and that's really important. I mean, you have to score to win. Exactly. All right, so another interesting game over the weekend was uh, Richmond versus Brisbane. So this was originally going to be in Melbourne, but it got moved up to Metricon with all the COVID drama. This was actually Jack Rewalt's 300th game, and he celebrated in style with six goals, and I think that's the most ever by a milestone player. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Johnny. I think that's right. But the question I had, Richmond had a great performance and uh, ended up managing to beat Brisbane pretty comfortably in the end. I think it was 20-something points. But yep. it was a pretty horrid injury to Dustin Martin here. So in a big clash with uh, Mitch Robinson sort of coming off the square, he got hit in a really bad spot and uh, I guess right on the kidney. And mm. Dustin Martin's been in hospital ever since and he's not expected to play again this year and I'm not sure how far into next year he would be out as well like it's pretty serious when it get, comes to internal organs uh, sounds like he is going to make a full recovery and he's not going to lose the kidney which is important but in terms of his football he's going to be missing for a fair while so I guess Richmond is still in the hunt to make the finals uh, just there with the pulse but yeah um, question I have is more around what this means for Richmond, not just this year, but I guess going into next year. And just like a dustyless Richmond, what's life going to be like without Dusty for a while? And maybe what would it have been like if they hadn't had Dusty for the last five years? Yeah, well, look, first of all, um, yeah, absolute horrific injury and uh, not something you'd wish on anyone. I mean, as you said, when it comes to the internal organs, it's a different it's a different scenario altogether. And... Um, yeah, can only hope that, fingers crossed, everything goes okay in his recovery. Because, uh, yeah, you really don't know. I mean, he, he's obviously out for the rest of the season, but 
there, you know, there could be a portion of next season, or he might turn be fine to rock up by preseason. It's just an unknown. Um, but as for life without Dusty, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone knows what it's like, really. I mean, we saw a few games this year, but um, he hasn't had a lot of long-term injuries, and they haven't really had many uh, seasons where they've had to base a game plan around not having him. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's a, it's a really it's a really difficult one, uh, but I think obviously the guys like Bolton are going to well, Shy Bolton will take the midfield forward role. Um, then it's really just up to these to the others to raise their game a bit a bit five percent each. You know, um, you know the Cochins, the Lamberts, the McIntoshes, um, Sydney Stacks. I think just come back. I mean, he's going to have to go pretty much right to you know eleven. Um, so is this the final nail yeah. in the Richmond coffin then? We've already oh, look, sort of said they can't win it, but is this the final nail? Yeah, for, for this season it is, definitely. I mean, it's, yeah, they might bind together and they might get a few wins here and there, but it's, I, I think that, yeah, that's that's worth a couple of wins there, I reckon, <laughs> Dusty. Uh, you wouldn't say that about many players, but yeah, I think it'll cost them at least one or two. Yeah, big blow for Richmond. Let's talk a bit more about the last sort of four or five years that they've had Dusty. So obviously had that amazing 2017 season where he won the Brownlow and the Norm Smith. And uh, in each of the grand finals that they've won, he's obviously won the Norm Smith, three of them, but throughout all their big games and whenever they've been challenged through this reign that they've had, it's pretty much always been Dusty snapping or evading and getting it to someone in a great position he's always been the one who gets the game back on their term so I guess the question I have and it's probably impossible to answer this but how many of these three flags that Richmond have won would they have won without Martin would they have won any jeez yeah that's a million dollar question uh well I don't think they would have won 2017 without Martin because uh, he was, he really was the barometer that got them those extra wins. As I've mentioned before, he, he's worth a few wins sometimes. And I reckon he was the difference between them making the top four and not making the top four that year. Uh, we all know that he won the Brownlow that year and he also won the Norm Smith. So I don't think 2017 happens without Dustin Martin, to be honest. Um, but as for 19 and 20, they're probably a little bit different. I think... I mean, look, they were a great pressuring unit in 2017. There's no doubt about that. But I think it really got solidified in 2018 and 2019. And, yeah, look, I think that... I think 19, they were a very, very dominant side. I reckon they probably would have won that. Um, But it's so hard to say as well because, you know, it is dusty and you got to get there and... His regular season form in all of these seasons was was pretty good. Uh, like last year was maybe uh, a tiny bit up and down during the season, but his finals are what counts, obviously. Uh, I yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer to this one, but <laughs> I think they definitely would have won at least one. At I least reckon. one, yeah, yeah. I, I'll I give think them. They had a good structure in this yeah. scenario. I'll give them twenty nineteen. I still yep. don't. That I agree. I don't think they win twenty seventeen. They kind of came from nowhere halfway through that season and kind of needed everything going their way. And 
uh, last year, 2020, you know, I reckon Geelong probably get him. Like, yep. he was the difference in I that game. Too. And, like, maybe someone else would have stepped up. But that was kind of his crowning moment, really, what he did in the, yeah. the second half of that grand final. So, yeah, yep, one out of I three, agree. maybe. <laughs> I think one out of three. I think, yeah, last year uh, it was definitely uh, the dusty final, grand final. So, yeah, I think one is fair. <laughs> I'm sure some Richmond supporters would be pretty unhappy with that. But, you know, uh, I'm definitely, sure definitely. they love Dusty, so they understand how important he's been to everything they've done, I'm sure. Well, he absolutely is. Uh, and that doesn't, yeah, you can't understate that. I mean, he's had an amazing input with what he's done. And, yeah, I mean, that 2017 year, I don't think anyone's ever had a season like that. No, absolutely not. So that's, that's yeah, I guess that's what started the whole thing for Richmond as well. If he didn't do that, yep. then where would Richmond even be? Like, it all it's all just like pieced together like a puzzle, isn't it? If you take one piece out, you never know how things would have changed. But it is interesting to have had such a dominant player in such a great team and like just to think about what it would have been when he if he wasn't there I guess Richmond never really had to deal with that so yeah it would be a funny exercise not that we're going to do it now but it would be a funny exercise to go through some of those real key players in that team and ask the same question would they have won three without Jack Rewalt would they have won three without Trent Cochin would they have won I don't know, 2017 with Alex Rance. Like, <laughs> it would be a nice exercise for another time. Yeah. If you take the best player out of any team, it's going to make things more difficult. But I think it's just exacerbated with Dusty because of the way they kind of set the game up for him and how dominant he can actually be on a game. And he's he's just a game changer. Uh, he's, he's got the X Factor. Absolutely. So there was another middling performance from the D's on the weekend, which we both sat down to watch Johnny on the weekend. And yes. uh, yeah, draw against the Hawks at the G on Saturday night with no one there would have been a weird place to be. But yeah, Very. I've got a few things I wanted to touch on in this game. But yeah, just what happened in this game <laughs> from your perspective? Yeah. Look, what happened in this game is very, very simple. Uh, I thought Hawthorne brought some excellent pressure. It was probably the best pressure they brought in any game this year. Uh, they got some confidence up. They were taking their opportunities. They were hitting up guys short, uh, really sort of running and um, quick ball movement, really catching us off guard a bit. And when it comes to Melbourne, our pressure was a little bit off. I thought we started really well with it. We looked up for it in that first quarter, uh, but it tailed off a bit. It never really got going again. Um, but then there's two other things, and they're pretty obvious, but um, I thought the set shot accuracy was appalling. And we just really lacked composure at the crucial time. And I've got three incidents in that last couple of minutes that just absolutely underline this for me. All right, give it to us. What do we got? Yep. So the first one is Clayton Oliver, who's, I think, on about 55, 60 metres out, maybe. Um, with the ball, there was about two minutes, just over two minutes left, and he ignores the short option. I can't remember who the short option was, but it was about twenty meters in front. He could we could have just controlled it for a bit, taken another thirty seconds off the clock, but he decided to bomb it to the square, came straight back out, and um, yeah, number two is Jake Lever taking that relieving mark of half back. He didn't even look to the left to see. I can't again. I can't remember who the option was, but there was a short option. Yep, yep. And I think without the fans, I could even hear, I'm not sure, it might have been Jaden Hunt. Yeah, I think or, it might have been Hunt. Uh, uh, yelling at kick it to um, kick it down the line or something like that. And he did that. He kicked it down the line. To be fair, Max Gorn nearly clunked yeah. it. Yeah. 
Didn't, marker, though. Yeah. It went out of bounds. Uh, so that was disappointing, unfortunately. But the third one, and he's a second-year player, but Trent Rivers, he had more time than he thought when he got that ball. He could There was a man about 20 minutes in front of him he could have gone short to if he just lowered the eyes. But he, he did blaze away, threw it on the boot, and just pretty much went up in the air. Um, once again, second-year player, so not going to be too harsh. And he's usually very composed, which is surprising. But if we do, for me, if we do any one of these three things, we win the game. Yeah. Some Fine margins. Like, yes, yes. Uh, just special mention to the moment as well when uh, Clayton, the, the reaction of Clayton Oliver when Spargo marked it in front of him. <laughs> that I, was quite funny. I, but not it good. It was funny. It was funny, but I, I didn't love it. And I really thought it summed up where our players' heads yeah. were at the time, to be honest. Yeah. Um, just a little bit of, yeah. Drinking the Kool-Aid a bit, uh, you know, oh, come on. You know, I, I look, to be fair to Oliver, he had busted a gut to get down there, but, you know, you got like, earlier in the season, that stuff never no. would have happened. We were doing all the team things. It was it was we, not me, and this has just crept into our game a little bit, and it's not great to see. Yeah, not good. Uh, I'll just run through quickly a few of the points I had. Some of you already yep. covered, but... Yeah, I thought Melbourne did get off to a really good start. The pressure was actually there, the intensity, which we've been calling for in some of these games against the bottom eight sides. They got up to about a 25-point lead about two-thirds of the way through the second. And as you said, they Hawthorne got the momentum. I think they did let the foot off the gas a bit there, Melbourne. They got three pretty quick goals and really a 12-point lead at halftime. Uh, was probably a little bit unders, although Melbourne hadn't really been that dominant either in that half. So from there, Hawthorne knew that they were in the game. They let Melbourne had let them into the game, and uh, they were really out hunting Melbourne, both with their pressure around the ball, their tackling, out tackled. They just wanted it more. It looked like. Yep. And uh, yep, definitely. Really, the only thing that saved Melbourne was their class in that last quarter. They didn't really. In, up their intensity much at all but just a couple no. of clean bits of play and they got through um and that basically allowed them to get in front but yeah didn't couldn't quite hold that lead with some of that those problems with the composure at the end there you were talking about one thing that really stood out to me though was uh they did have some shots late to actually increase the lead so I think it was Fritsch who marked about 45 out. I think at that point they were up by five points. And there was another shot. I can't remember who it was when they were up six it was points. Brayshaw. Um, I think it was, it might have just been before that. But Spargo? Could have been Spargo. But there was two guys who basically had a shot from sort of on their distance. They could have made the distance, but instead they're choosing to center it where there's basically a nest of Hawthorne support, uh, a nest of Hawthorne players. The reason I wanted mm. to highlight that, though, is because at that point in the game, a point is actually really valuable. To go from five points up to six points up or six points up to seven points up, that's a huge difference. So, like, if if there's a 50% chance you're going to make it, take the shot. Like, don't just center yeah. it where there's, pr- like, a 90% chance it's actually going to get intercepted. So, I don't know if that's just, like, a lack of game awareness. We talked about this a little bit last week with Toby Green as well. Do players not understand mm. when a point is actually valuable? I don't know. Yeah, I totally agree with this because it is... it is It's a bit of a mystery as to, as to what they're thinking. I mean, uh, Melbourne have had troubles with this in the past, but not so much this year, obviously. But um, there's definitely... 
you sort of see times in the game when you know they're kicking to the pockets, they're playing the percentages, the worst case scenarios will get a stoppage. But for whatever reason, they chose the worst possible time to bomb it to the goal square. And yeah, as you said, where there's a nest of Hawthorne players, Fritch literally um, kicked it like right in the middle of three Hawthorne players. <laughs> like there was, yeah, there was no nothing else that was going to happen there. He could have made the distance, even if he missed it, it would have been a better play. Yeah, Just it's it's playing the percentages. You, you're getting a couple of scoring shots when it counts. You know, it's not always about like if this is the second quarter. Obviously, I'd probably be saying something different. But it's late in the game. Any score from an entry that you get is probably going to be you know, it's going to contribute. So, yeah, 11 goals, 13 against a back six. that Their whole back six is out at the moment. So <laughs> I, I don't really know how that happened. And, yeah, that was the most disappointing part of it, really. Yeah, like, you look at the score, Hawthorne were extremely accurate. I think that part of that is just what we are talking about there with the hardness around the ball and the pressure. Hawthorne's was much better. They were getting... Yep. Their shots in much better spots. Um, they were getting through. A lot of Melbourne's shots were from quite far out, and when they were getting entries, the fifty was quite congested. So, I think Hawthorne probably got four or five goals from free kicks as well. I didn't actually count. Yeah. There was a lot of them. So, it, everything was working for Hawthorne, and not much was working for Melbourne. Um, it's just it was it wasn't really surprising at all. Like. There were ten dollar outsiders pretty much coming into the game, but it's the same formula as we've talked about before. Yeah. Exactly what we said. Their game style against these lower sides isn't really working. They're playing the extra around. Mm. Uh, they're conceding the extra around the stoppages, um, and when you don't have enough pressure and intensity around the ball, essentially your spare man's getting bypassed anyway. So you're essentially giving the opposition a free man. David King's big has been big on this uh, yes. this week. You're essentially giving the opposition a free man and you're not pressuring them enough and they're using that man and getting really good looks at goal. So it's almost like Melbourne's playing with one hand tied behind their back against these lower-ranked sides because I think we both agree that the game style doesn't really work without pressure and no. they can't generate the pressure against the lower side. So it's an interesting one, though. Like, What do you think yeah. they would get more out of? Should they be practicing playing the same way every week because I think they would actually be performing better against these lower rank sides by actually not playing the spare behind the ball. But if they're doing that, then does that sort of wreck what they're trying to do when they go up against the top eight sides? You know what I mean? Like, is this yeah. is this like a necessary evil that they're so drilled into always knowing exactly what to do? Maybe they're not That's quite a... at that point like a Geelong is where they can change their game style from week to week. What do you reckon? Yeah, or like a Hawthorne was in their peak. Um <laughs> This it's a fantastic question, but um, I think in this league, you you can't be one dimensional. I think you need to have the ability to, to have a plan B, or you know the ability to evolve your game plan, um, because I just think when you get if you're too predictable, it's going to be found out eventually anyway. Um, I, I personally would have liked to have seen the the contest leveled up. I mean, Tom Mitchell gets. 39 possessions at the best of times anyway like why why encourage it even more i mean uh they were matching us in the in the in the stoppages and the clearances and yeah i just it's perfect analogy just it does seem like we're playing with one hand tied behind the back we're, we're inviting pressure we're inviting entries um and it's become very clear now that um 
as good as our back line is, if you can get it to ground against them, you are half a chance to score. So, Especially I in would, the low-pressure yeah. games where Melbourne isn't right on it to actually nullify. It just, it yeah. just exacerbates, I think, yeah. I mean, we're not talking about a full-on change to the game plan. We're just, we're just sort of looking at, you know, can we, can we um, adapt and, and make it a bit more flexible? Can we bring someone else up to the, um, the middle and just, you know, influence the contest a bit at times? I mean, I just think that would be a good game plan if the game plan was a bit more fluid. Mm, yeah, uh, and it didn't rely on the necessary evil, <laughs> um, which look, I, I understand the structure and the system is what it is and it's gotten us to where we've gotten to, but surely you've got to be able to make adjustments. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if they do try and change anything in the games coming out. I mean, they're not going to change for the top eight sides because it's worked against them and they can yeah, generate sure. the intensity, but personally, I think they won't change, but based on what you're saying there, I think there are good reasons to change. And, you know, if they were, one of the best teams, they probably would be able to change. So I'm not mm. sure whether that's a coaching thing or what's going on there. But yeah, it will be interesting to see how long it is until they're actually willing to try something different against these lower yeah. ranked teams where there's a body of work now that shows it's not working. And I think Melbourne was incredibly lucky to get out of this game with a draw. As I said in that sort of summary, yeah. it was really only their class that got them back into the game in the last quarter. Hawthorne looked like they were yeah. going to win it. And the draw is actually almost as good as a win for Melbourne because they're probably going to have the lowest percentage of the top three anyway. So in many ways, they kind of got out of jail here. And look, at the end of the day, it is a bit of a, a tiebreaker, I guess, in the ladder, which definitely helps. I mean, it's much better than losing. Um, but yeah, look, it really just came down to the manner of the performance. It wasn't too much the result for me. It was it, it was the fact that we were being pressured and I thought our guys looked a bit scared at times, actually. And as you said, I thought the class that we had, the, the we didn't really do... I think we kicked two in a row at one point. I think it was Fritch and then Pickett or the other way around. And I didn't actually look at... I think Richo was saying something like, oh, the momentum well and truly back on Melbourne's terms now. I didn't see it that way at all. I thought they were two really sort of fortuitous goals in the end that I didn't, I didn't feel any shift at all in mm, momentum. Interesting. Um, yeah. It, I guess this game was a little bit different to some of the earlier ones because... In the earlier games, the pressure hasn't really been there at the start and they've kind of tried to get it in the second half. Here, the pressure kind of was there in the first half and then yeah. it just went away. So uh, to me, that's probably even worse. <laughs> they thought that they yeah. sort of had the job done. <laughs> anyway, let's come back to the draw itself. So is yeah. a draw a satisfactory result for an in-season game? What do you reckon? Um, I think my favourite thing about a draw is every time a draw happens the token topic of conversation about a draw and whether it's good for the game or not comes up in all the media outlets and everything. Um, but, yeah, look, it's, you know, do we want a draw? Do we, the players want a result? The fans want a result? Uh, look, you know, honestly, when it comes to the draw, oh, I'm going to be a bit old school on this. I don't really mind it, to be honest. I think it's it's okay for a regular season game. Um yeah, look, I know some people say, you know, they'd like to have the five minutes extra or the ten minutes extra or whatever and penalty kicks or whatever. I actually didn't really hear a definitive answer or a definitive solution to what mm, should happen. Yeah. I heard about three different ways to decide a game over the weekend from most people. So I don't think anyone really knows what they want. But, um, yeah, look, I don't see really any need to change it. I think it's just one of those, one of those unique things about the game and... 
yeah, look, they happen so rarely. When they do, yeah, it's a bit weird. It sucked on Saturday night, but, you know, two points each. Um, you've played a good game. You, sometimes you don't deserve to lose. And in this case, you both get a reward for it, I guess. I mean, I don't see any reason to, to award only four points if for a win and everything goes on percentage. I just think that's a really... I don't know. It, we remember we had the conversation about that if we took away the point posts. Uh, I remember yeah, one yeah. of the scenarios I thought was, oh, so should a goal be six points every time? And that means that all that's ever happened is six <laughs> points has been yeah, scored. Yeah. It's a bit like that with the ladder. If the, if we took the draw away, I don't know. That's just my opinion. But um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm similar. I don't see any reason to take it away. Really, like if they've played for 120 minutes and it ended in scores being even then i think that's the right result like you don't need a result you need a result for a final you need a result for a grand final you can get that by coming back the next week for the grand final we don't do that anymore but there's no reason why the result can't be a draw really like it's not impinging on any other game i think the only reason people want a result is you know they want a winner and they want a loser but we get that in 99% of the games anyway. So personally, I don't mind it. And I, I don't know. Yeah. Like similar to you. I don't mind the quirk of it. Some teams having a draw on the ladder and, you know, it looks a little strange, but it can actually be quite um, important on the ladder. So I'm sure like maybe revisit it in three or four weeks time, but I'm pretty sure those two points will either be the difference between Melbourne finishing you know, fourth or fifth and like mm. third or fourth. So like it is going to matter. Yeah. No, it, it just adds another, another equation to it and makes it exciting. And I remember saying in uh, our text chain with, we got going with a few other Melbourne supporters, I think it was about a minute and a half left on the clock. I said something along the lines of, well, the worst we can do from here is a draw. <laughs> <laughs> and I think someone yep. popped up and said, no, I'm not so sure about that, but yeah, anyway. It happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got what we wish for. <laughs> all right. All right, well, we got all through all our questions that matter. Let's jump into our match of the round, making its long-awaited reappearance. So as I hinted at earlier, we've got the Gold Coast and the Bulldogs. So this was played up at Metricon. Gold Coasts have been in pretty good form over the last few weeks, wins over the Tigers and GWS, and they're taking on the second-placed Bulldogs here who needed to keep winning to uh, show up their top two spot. So this was a Saturday afternoon game with fans at Metricon, which is nice. So Brisbane is still uh, allowing fans, or maybe it's just because it's Gold Coast, actually. Not sure if Brisbane can have fans, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure about that, yeah. Because I know they have a few COVID cases as well. Yes. Anyway, let's jump into the game. So it was actually the Suns with the fast start, kicking the first three goals, two of them to Holman and one to Ainsworth. And what really stood out to me early here, Johnny, was that they were controlling the ball really well against such a seasoned competitor in the Bulldogs. They were competing really well around the ground. Ben King and Corbett providing good outlet kicks leading up to the wings. They just looked really quite fluent against the Bulldogs, which was a surprise. Yeah, yeah, no, I thought the same thing. They were getting some good run through the middle. They were using it well and um, created some good scoring opportunities. So they got the fast start there, but the Bulldogs did get going a little bit in the second half of the quarter here. They were using the angles quite well to open up some spaces, and 
it was actually provided a nice inside 50 entry with a perfect spot-up kick to Eugle Hagen. And uh, with his run and jump, he took the ball at the highest point and, uh, yeah, it was picture perfect. And he went back from 45 out and uh, on about a 45-degree angle, nailed his first goal. So it was a really nice long shot, that one. Good to see him nail that one. Yeah, he's got a... He's, oh, I actually like his goal kicking stance uh, from a set shot. I mean, it's not the most orthodox one, but he gets a nice arc on the ball and, you know, good purchase on it. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm a fan. He gets it through pretty well. Like, he had a few shots from around 50 in this game and they're all going through, like, three-quarter post-tight. So, yeah, you can you can get onto it. Yeah, yeah. It sort of it looked a bit like a three point shot in basketball, like a good a good one where you sort of give yourself every chance to you know, drain it. Yeah, I think as a Bulldog supporter you'd already be trusting him with the set shot, so it's a good sign for mm. such a young player in his second game. Definitely. So next it was actually a great release from the back edge of the center square from Matt Rao, which saw Gold Coast uh, in heaps of space going forward, and it was actually Holman again who marked running back towards goal, and he actually managed to kick his third for the quarter. So Gold Coast probably did have the better of this quarter, but right in the last 30 seconds, they undid some of their good work where two different Suns players had their kick smothered that allowed Bulldogs to have one last entry, and it was actually Daniel finding the ball on the ground in the 50 and snapping the goal with about half a second left on the clock. A little bit unlucky there for the, the Suns, and they ended up taking just a five-point lead into quarter time. Yeah, a bit unlucky, but, uh, geez, opportunist goal there from Kyle Daniel, and, uh, yeah, that's making the most of your opportunities. So coming into the second quarter, it was actually a Bontempelli stiff arm on the wing that gave him plenty of space, and in that space, he used it well to absolutely lace out Jürgen Hagen with a 50-meter kick and as he did earlier, taking the ball at his, its highest point in uh, a one-grab mark. He definitely looks like a natural footballer, this guy. Oh, for sure, for sure. Like he, he, Similar to Norton, he, he he goes to the ball. And, yeah, he's... Yeah, it's only his second game, but very keen to see what he's going to be like for the rest of the season. I think, um, yeah, they could have something here. He looks every inch the number one draft pick. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Although he actually went two, didn't he? Because uh, I think he was got they got him with the father son. So it was still thought that went number one, wasn't it? Or was uh, it actually? Well, I thought he was. I thought Dilthorpe was two, and he was okay. One, but, uh, I probably had that right, the wrong uh, way around. You're probably no, right. Uh, anyway, yes. he looks like a number one yes. pick, so that's good enough for me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so he drained that yeah. one as well with his yep. beautiful goal kicking. This one basically from the paint of fifty, so. 50 metres, no problem for Mara, as they like to call him. Yes, yes. There's plenty of uh, nicknames floating around for him, I guess, with three yep. uh, quite interesting names. There's bound to be a few nicknames floating around. No, that's a great name. That's a great name. So it was really the Bulldogs getting on top a little bit here in this second quarter with back-to-back goals from McRae. The first from an inside 50 stoppage where it looked like he had plenty of space. And then a... Uh, Forward 50 turnover that saw McRae gliding inside 50 and nailing it from 40. So that got the Bulldogs lead out 
to just over three goals, I think. Yeah, a big goal, that one. Uh, not a noted goal kicker, but uh, yeah, that was a, a very big one in the game. Really uh, set the tone for the rest of the rest of it, I guess. Bonson Pally was still putting on a clinic as well as he weaved in and out of traffic, and he set up a really nice open piece of play for the Bulldogs, which ended with a running Johannesson goal, and uh, yeah, they were in control. Although Gold Coast were doing just enough to stay in touch, and courtesy of a 45-meter snap in general play from Sexton, the halftime lead for the Bulldogs was just 11 points, which I guess people would have thought it would have been a fair bit more with the Bulldogs so high up on the ladder. Yeah, uh, the, the Suns stayed in there, and in the last few weeks they've really, really um, shown a bit more resolve. I guess uh, in, you know earlier in the year they were. I think folding over a bit quicker, but there's you know something about them. The contested ball is getting better, and um, that's obviously led by Took Miller. And yeah, I, I, very impressed. They really, really hung in there. So Rouse had a few games now coming back after his shoulder injury, I think it was, and he does some really nice things. Noah Anderson was back in for this game, so they do definitely have some good talent running through the midfield now. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, if you look at this uh, this midfield now, you start thinking, "Oh, that's actually not a bad middle." Um, unfortunately, if you're missing that for most of the year, it's 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 tough. But really tough to get results. But uh, you know, they've got some good experience there in David Swallow as well. Um, maybe one player short of really making a, a good challenge for finals. But um, yeah, no, I think. They would like to get as many games into that group together as they can from now until the end of the season. I think they're definitely playing with a lot more confidence now, just the way they're sort of linking up and running for each other a bit more. I think a lot of people were really critical of them for not putting in the required effort earlier in the year, but it does seem to have clicked yeah. for them a little bit in the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was some... I guess uh, I can't remember which game it was, but um, around the middle of the year, I guess, so were accused of being a bit, yeah, just not soft, but uh, you know, not quite putting in the effort required, not putting the body on in the contests. Um, I think David King had a bit of a go at Noah Anderson and Jack Lacocious at one point <laughs> for that. But uh, yeah, look, they really they they've lifted a little bit in the in the same way as Carlton has. They actually look like they're playing for each other and they've bought in. So yeah, all right, let's jump back into the game here. So in the third quarter, it was actually Gold Coast who got the first, courtesy of a long ball in from Took Miller that found Ainsworth quite deep. So he managed to go back and kick his third goal there to get the margin back to less than uh, a goal at that point. So it was the Dogs responding, though, winning a big ball on the wing before Dale came slicing through, running off half-back to get it in deep. And on the ground, Bruce just managed to get his foot to it to get it through the goals. And in a short time later, it was actually Ugel Hagen uh, taking a huge contested mark over two different players in the pocket. And he went around on the left to snap it as well from the set shot. So it was actually a two-goal buffer for the Dogs going into three-quarter time uh, with uh, Oh, slightly more than a two-goal buffer, 16-point lead. So, yeah, Bulldogs doing enough to see off Gold Coast challenge here, but still remaining pretty close the whole way through. 
Jeez, his game had just about everything for a second gamer. I mean, that was a fantastic contested mark. Um, you know, he was nailing his set shots from all over the place. So it's it's not a bad one, not a bad one. But um, yeah, real tight, real tight. This one. So in the last, it was actually the dogs that managed to go coast to coast from a deep Suns entry, and this ended with a Johannesson set shot, and the margin got out to twenty two points which looked to be a winning margin at this point. And a short time later, it was actually Norton marking and goaling from 50. So at this point, it sort of seemed like the dogs by how far. The Suns did get a couple mm. of goals back though, but uh, it just ensured that it didn't blow out too much. So in the end, it was a 21-point win to the dogs to cement their place in the top two for the time being. Yep. Yep, they got the job done and they kicked their sit shots when it counted. Um, and, yeah, they take their place not quite at the top of the ladder, <laughs> but uh, they're nipping on the heels. There's no doubt about that. Um, Bontempelli, once again, jeez. <laughs> uh, I am just about at the point now where I'll be absolutely shocked if he doesn't win the Brownlow. Um, and Took Miller, again, once again, really good performance. I think uh, if I was doing a really quick three to one off the top of my head, I'd go Bontempelli three, uh, Bailey Dale two, and I'd have Took Miller for the one. So, yeah, um, really fun game to watch, and yeah, the Suns uh, gallant effort. So the fact that this game stayed pretty close throughout, do you think that says more about the Dogs or the Suns? Yeah, well, interesting question. Interesting question. I think. I think you have to give a lot of credit to the Suns. They really did bring it to them for four quarters. Um, The Dogs had the class when it counted. Uh, When they needed a goal, they kicked it. That's what the good teams do. Um, But I don't think the Bulldogs were playing badly. No. And they're not not like a huge pressure team, but I guess they were just doing what they needed to do to get the job done. I kind of did wonder though if they like they were definitely not playing badly, but I do think that they they have another gear they can go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I've got a couple of true or falses to finish off here, just about this game to put the exclamation point on. So first one, the Suns have shown enough in the last month to give some meaningful hope for the future. True or false, Johnny? Who? Um. <laughs> I'm, it's pretty 50-50, I think, this one. There are still holes in their, in their team, I think, in the list that probably need a bit of addressing. They still lack a lot of experience. And, um, so it sounds like you're going false then. I, I think I have to go false at this stage. They've, they've, they're on the right track, definitely. Uh, but I wouldn't be buying a Gold Coast Suns membership off the back of these few wins and nice performances. It's kind of strange to be talking about the Gold Coast Suns so much. Every conversation I think we've had about them so far this year has been about them relocating, but it's nice to see them playing some decent football and uh, some of their players becoming a bit more noteworthy. So, yeah, it is good to have them on the It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, look, uh, depending on whatever fixture we get next week, if this particular match stays how it's meant to stay and they can win it, then I might be buying a Gold Coast Suns membership, hypothetically. Um, and they're playing Brisbane. Ah, uh, is that is it Q-Clash? Yeah. I, don't, I can't keep clash. up with the 
fixture. It's all over the place. <laughs> no, no, and that's obviously subject to change. But if they could get that one done, then yeah, yeah, I, I reckon I'd change to true. Okay, interesting. Well, they've got a good chance to wounded Brisbane. They've been yeah. a little bit down, so it's probably a good one for them to try and go out for for sure. Yes, yes. I agree. I think this one is false. So it's been really good over the last month, but you probably can't completely hang your hat on that saying everything's rosy, but yeah, good signs. Yep. Yeah, definitely good signs. You'd prefer them than not. All right, last one. The Bulldogs are only going to get better in the years to come. True or false? So this is in reference to the fact that the majority of their better players are still in like a really good age bracket. Uh, they've got Yugo Hagen, who's just come in. Um, Luke Darcy's son apparently is coming in through uh, no father-son. So, yeah, I guess they could be quite a dangerous team for a while to come. What do you reckon? Are they going get, to keep getting better here, Johnny? True or false? Uh, yeah, I think there is improvement to come from the dogs. Uh, yeah, as you said, Yugo Hagen, um, some of these... These youngsters up and uh, guys like Tim English are going to get better. There's no, he's still probably a little bit off and like uh, of a ways off from being a, a bona fide key position slash ruck, but he will, he's still got a lot of improvement to go. I think uh, that it, it, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that midfield. I still don't know what um, Josh Dunkley's situation is. Oh, uh, yeah, whether uh, he wants to go still. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard a lot about it um, apart from. The uh, story about him being uh, in the COVID hotspot or whatever, but um, yeah, uh, I think there's definitely a, a lot of these guys are still in their prime. There's, it's a really stacked list. This one, it's a really stacked list, and I think there's some guys who might even look for opportunities elsewhere to get a game. Um, but one thing they've got to improve on, I think, is their backline. They probably would look to address that over the off season or you know. In a, draft or something like that but yeah i think they will get better yeah i don't think there's any reason to suggest they won't get better so i'll go true here as well i guess i kind of said this throughout the year but still my one slight reservation on the bulldogs is under a really high pressure game when the opposition completely is bringing it for you know three and a half four quarters can they stand up to that and still play their sort of fluent game style and they kind of answered that partially, I think, against Geelong. Didn't quite get over the line there. That was a very high-pressure game. But I think in their other really high-pressure games, they haven't quite got over the line. So it will be interesting to see how their game style holds up in the finals. We're going to have a lot of answers after this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's to if that Melbourne question. can bring the pressure. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks for jumping on the line, Johnny. Yes, yes, no problem. And just one note, uh, we're going to leave the weekend episodes for the time being, focus more on these weekly episodes. We will do the odd special episode every now and then. But uh, yes, just returning to the one episode per week format for now. So thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy the footy. 